is men that have been underground for, you know, all day. They go in the mines at dark, before daylight, and come out after the sun set. And many have did that for years on end. And it causes depression. And there are signs of that throughout the history. There's 100,000 people in the city of Butte back in 1917 during the mining heyday. And from there, it went downhill, of course, as mining shut down in 1984, 1985, um, leaving about 34,000 people in the city. But 57% of the city of Butte proclaimed no religious affiliation whatsoever. And that is about 20,000 people. And that, that's mainly atheist or agnostic viewpoints. Um, with Montana Tech University there in the city, I've talked to uh, several of the students and all of them that I've talked to have been atheists, but they've been willing to listen to what I've had to say. And you know that, that's been an encouragement because the word of God doesn't return void. If we're willing to share the word of God, he will sing that somewhere into their hearts. At some point, I believe it'll come back out. And, you know, we've talked to uh, many in the city. The Catholic influence is very strong. Irish Catholics uh, predominantly. The largest per capita group of Irish in the world outside of Ireland is there in the city of Butte. And all of their culture seems to be part of it. Their festivals, parades, all of these things that are Irish related you'll find in Butte. Here are Irish accents all over the city. Um, the um, St. Patrick's Day um, festivities make national news many years. And that's a lot of what defines Butte today. Um, people know Butte for different aspects. A lot of them refuse to go through Butte. It's got a bad history. Um, whenever I was going out there, people told me, you don't want to go to Butte. It's a dirty, ugly city. It's full of crime and alcoholism, drugs, um, just a lot of smaller level crimes which go in, hand in hand with those things, it is very prominent in the city of Butte. But let me back up and tell you how we got to that point. Back in 2012, I was in Bible college. I started Bible college shortly after being called to preach in 2010. And I took the long path through Bible college. I started in fall of 2010, graduated in April of 2018, taking two classes a semester while working full time. Tried to speed that up one time and got set back a little bit more as a result. And God said, don't speed up what I'm doing. So we um, kind of reset there and um, did it his speed. But nonetheless, I was sitting in class one day behind a couple guys that were talking about the need for churches in the Northwest. And they made one comment. I, I really can't remember much of the conversation short of this one statement. They said people are driving two hours or more to find a Bible-believing church in parts of the Northwest and specifically Montana. And I'm from Lexington, North Carolina. We've got a population of about 19,000 people in the city limits. And there's 19 independent Baptist churches in the city limits, most of which are relatively good churches. So for me to think about driving two hours is unheard of. I can't comprehend it. That's the area I grew up in and just couldn't wrap my mind around it. So I couldn't get that thought out of my mind. For the course of about six months, I was uh, just 
going back to that, I was researching things about the Northwest and Montana specifically, and God just drew my heart to Montana and just gave me a burden uh, for the state. And over that six-month period, I realized that God wanted us to go to Montana, and I had shared that with my wife, and she was on board with going, and we decided we would go out in 2013 for our uh, survey trip where we went out for 11 days, and we went city to city across mainly the southern part of Montana. We had flew into Billings and just went all across the southern part of the state, the small towns, the larger towns, and God was silent. He didn't do anything during the first part of that trip, and we were discouraged. We thought we were going to go home not knowing anything more than we did whenever we um, took off for the trip. But I started calling pastors. I called six or seven pastors and asked one question, really. I said, if you were to plant a church somewhere in Montana, where would it be? Every one of them said the city of Butte. I'd ask why, and they said, you'll have to find out on your own. All of them. No one would tell me a reason. But I talked to some people where we were staying, and they said, you don't want to go there. So it's a dirty, ugly city full of crime, the things I've already mentioned. And I was like, well... The next day was our last day of our trip before we flew back home. It's like, I guess we're going to go to Butte and we're going to check it out. It was an hour and a half drive from where we were at. And we drove out to Butte. And as we come through the Continental Divide, you see the view that we saw in the video um, just a little further down the road from where I was standing at. And God gave me a verse out of Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. And that audible voice of God, he just said, this is where I want you to plant the church. I look over at my wife. She's got the tear coming down her cheek. And she looked back at me and said, this is home. God told her that's, that's where he wanted her to raise her children at. And, you know, it's amazing to me how God works in both of our hearts. You know, ultimately for the same goal. And... At the same time. And, you know, we knew that that's where God wanted us at that point. But, of course, we hadn't even got into the city yet. Well, so we go in and we spend the day there in the city driving all over the city, just checking out everything we could and going in some places and so forth. And God just kept showing us the souls that were in need of Christ there in the city. 34 churches in the city of Butte preaching religion without the gospel of Christ. Now, that's all but two churches that I'm aware of. Two independent works there in the city that are they're actually split from each other. But we've witnessed the almost two-hour drive to find a church that um, people are going to go to, at least. We've been in a city, for example, 45 minutes to the southeast of the city of Butte. And we found people from Butte in that church because there was nowhere they wanted to go in Butte. And we found people from Deer Lodge, which is another 45 minutes on the northeast, or sorry, northwest of Butte. So we're up to an hour and a half drive to that one church on the southeast of Butte. So, you know, that reality kind of hit home. We've been back, of course, to Butte on several trips now. We've been out for a week at a time and a couple times we've been um, for two month long trips 
the first two years of full-time deputation, just really, we went out first thing on deputation to try to learn all we could about ministering to people in Montana because from North Carolina to even here, especially there in Montana, the culture is completely different um, in many aspects. You know, just from the way we talk to the things that we say and um, just the other cultural elements of how they interact. It is different than what it is on the East Coast. And it's going to take some learning for us. We've learned a lot of good information and been there long enough to see some of that take place. But we know we've got a lot more to learn when we get there. We're praying that we can uh, move out in May or so of this year and actually get the church started by September of this year. So that is uh, what we're praying for at the moment. But definitely pray for us as we go out there because it's, it's a very hard area. The Catholicism um, is very hard um, to break through in that city. The atheistic, agnostic mindset is also another difficult thing. But God has called us there. We know he's got a purpose for it. And um, we're looking forward to seeing what he does in building his church. So pray for us as we go. And specifically in April, April 13th, we're flying out there um, for a Tuesday to Friday. And we're trying to find a place um, to hold services at for when we do get out there. We're going to try to go ahead and secure a location the best we can. So pray that we find exactly what God would have for us. We've got some ideas of what uh, we think would work. But, you know, if God opens the door to something that he thinks is even better than, you know, just pray that we'd be open to seeing that. But um, go ahead and open up your Bibles this evening. If you have any more questions, I'd love to talk with you after service. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter number 1. Second Timothy chapter number 1. And we're going to start reading here in just a moment in verse number 5. But I want to think about some things this evening. You know, this is a message that is definitely missions focused, but I believe it is more focused on why missions is not happening in our country and around the world in many aspects. In other words, what prevents missions? And let's read the text here, and I believe we'll, we'll come to that conclusion here together. In verse 5, he says, the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, When I recall to remembrance, or when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee, by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Let's pray this evening. Our Heavenly Father, as I come before you tonight, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here and to share with your people tonight. Father, I just ask that you'll open our hearts and our minds to your words this evening, Lord, as we read from your word. And Lord, I pray that you give me the words to say, Lord, just hide from me anything that I shouldn't. And Lord, we'll just give you the thanks and praise for all that's said and done here tonight. In Christ's name, amen. Looking at the verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
Fear is the topic of this evening. And I believe fear has prevented missions on so many levels. Whether it is the fear to approach someone to share the gospel with them as God opens a door just in our daily walk. Or whether it is God trying to call us to a mission field, but we're scared to go. And so many more aspects you could think of. But I found a survey that listed the top 10 strong human fears that are shared by people everywhere. And as I was reading through that list, it was kind of eye-opening. The, um, the first or the top four on that list, I believe, go hand in hand with our soul winning. Anyone want to take a guess at what might be on there? Anything? Rejection. That is number three. Anything else? Nothing else. All right. Well, you know, I thought maybe there would be things like, you know, your snakes, your spiders, and things that tend to startle you. Um, fear of public speaking, you know, fear of heights, things like that, people would say. But the reality is things that really make a difference in our life. They're issues of the heart. And I think about last year and this year, and from the political realm to the virus, and I'm sure there's other things that jump in there, but those are the two things that stand out. Regardless of what side of the political spectrum you're on and your worldview, there's been a feeling of it's being attacked. It might get shifted in the way our country goes one way or the other. And like I said, I'm not going to get political, but from the virus perspective as well, there's many aspects of fear that have come out over this past year. And number 10 is the fear of losing your freedom. I think we can all identify with that on some level. Number nine is the fear of the unknown. You know, especially with the virus over this past year, are we going to get it? If we do, how bad is it going to be? I, in, back in, right after Christmas, our family um, got the virus and, you know, praising the Lord, that it was a mild case. Um, my son had it and didn't have any symptoms at all. And my wife and I had um, very mild symptoms and I'm not sure if, Lydia actually got it or not, but, you know, you're, you don't know what the next day is going to hold. You hear of turns, and, you know, there's, there's a fear to that. But we're just, again, we're praising God that we got through it and no major problems. But I know that hasn't been the case in many aspects. But the fear of the unknown, fear of pain, disappointment, misery, Number five is loneliness. But number four starts what I believe is some aspects of our witness. So winning that fear steps in. Number four is the fear of ridicule. Number three, rejection. Now, hopefully on our account, number two isn't a fear in that aspect, but the fear of death. As a saved person, we should not fear death. But the ones that we're going to many times have a strong fear of death. But number one is the fear that I think breeds itself, the fear of failure. And you know, many times we get stuck on the ridicule, the rejection, and the aspect of our witness. And we don't go at all. But we've been commanded through the scriptures to go into all the world, to preach the gospel to every creature. 
The word preach simply meaning to teach, to proclaim, and to share what God has done in our life. But the fear of failure causes us to fail so many times. I know it has in my life. And I'm sure most of you can, if not all of you, can identify with many, if not all, of these fears. And, you know, these fears have stopped us. It has stopped us from accomplishing what God wants for us in our life. And I believe today we need a stirring of God in our life. And we need to look and identify what is that fear in our life that is keeping us from growing in Christ. I looked at a few aspects. We're, we're done in 2 Timothy, but I'm going to have us turn back to the book of Genesis because I like to look at the law of first mention when I'm looking at a topic. And this was really eye-opening, and I want to share it um, with you tonight. As I was going through a study of fear, Genesis chapter 9, we find the first mention of the word fear. There's four first mentions that I want to look at relating to fear um, this evening. But fear is said to be a basic human emotion. It dictates your actions. It dictates your decisions. And it will keep you from accomplishing your goals and living how you should for Christ. Fear feeds stagnation. The opportunities, the open doors that God puts in front of us, it keeps us from walking through. The word fear is found 501 times in our King James Bible. I believe God has a little bit to say about fear. Whether it is the fear that Satan puts into our mind and keeps us away from the things of Christ, or whether it be the reverence, fear of God. There's two aspects of that. And the fear of God, the reverence of God, is what I have entitled the message, the transforming fear. Because that fear will transform our lives. If we reverence God, we fear God the way He wants us to. The way we need to live our lives. But the first mention of fear here in Genesis chapter 9, verse 2. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. As I was studying for the message, and I was, it was really a personal study that just turned into the message, but I was looking at that verse and thinking, man, that's not where I was really expecting it to go. I guess where I, not where I wanted it to go. It wasn't showing what I was thinking, but as I was looking at it and meditating on that verse, you know, I was, got to looking and, you know, it says at the end, into your hands are they delivered. Through fear into the animal world. God has placed, he's placed that fear and he has provided for his people. He has provided food. He's providing clothing. He has provided tools. He's provided all of that for his children through fear. God is a God that will provide for all of our needs. But I want to, continue looking as these kind of come together. Um, the first mention of the word or term, fear not. If you turn over to chapter 15, we see the first mention of fear not. This is an account where Abram has just received a vision for God, from God. And the next three here are all related to Abram as we kind of watch him grow in faith. 
In verse number 1 of chapter 15, the Bible says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. When I hear the shield, I think of Ephesians chapter 6 and taking the shield of faith. See, faith is the opposite of fear. If we have fear, we don't have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I think about Psalm 18. And you can turn if you like, you don't have to. But it's a Psalm of David where God has just defeated all of David's strong enemy. I might get there in a minute. <laughs> but I want to share a couple of verses from there. In chapter 18, verse 6, we see David's call out to God, his prayer in a time of distress, when all the enemies were around him, and he felt basically drowned it out by them. He said, In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God, and he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. That's David holding up his shield of faith, believing that God would provide what was needed for him to survive the situation, to move forward. But we see God's response that then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. We see our God who moved the foundations of the world. He can move the mountains at the request of his child. But do we believe he can today? You know, we serve the same God as David. He's just as powerful today as he was then. But many times, we're either not going to him, or we don't believe the power that he will provide. But how much power was that? If I look in verse 15 towards the end, I see, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. God didn't lift a finger in this aspect. In this particular account, he didn't lift a finger. At the blast of the breath of thy nostril. That's not a lot of power. But yet, it moved mountains. And that's, that's the power of God. Just a small portion of it. But I, I read on it. Verse 17, he said, He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me. For they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. Now remember, he said, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I want us to see that reward. He said, He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath He recompensed me. You know, we hear people say, you can be saved and as long as you're saved, you can go live how you want and you're still going to go to heaven. And although that may be true because once we're saved, we're saved. But do we really want to miss out on all that God has in store for us? Do we want to miss out on the strong hand of God who will defeat all of our enemies if we trust Him? You know, we can get through this life so much better, so much easier if we will just rely on Him. It doesn't mean we won't have difficult circumstances. It doesn't mean we won't have trials and temptations in our life. But we have the one that has already overcame. We have the one that will overcome every situation that is put before us. 
You know, God's already known the obstacles that we'll face even tomorrow. He knows what's ahead, but we've got to rely on Him. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. It is a reward according to our obedience towards Christ. But let's look in chapter 22. In chapter 22, we see the offering of Isaac, Abram's son, at Mount Moriah. We see the account where Abram and Isaac and some of Abraham's men are walking to Mount Moriah. They get to the base of the mountain. They leave those men behind. And it's just Isaac and Abraham as they're walking up the mountain. As they're walking up the mountain, Isaac looks at his father and says, Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? We've got everything else, but no lamb. And I believe Abraham just confidently says, God will provide himself a lamb. You see, Abraham knew that Isaac was the promised seed. He had already been told this by God, and he believed God. He knew that if Isaac was to be sacrificed here, God would be a liar. He knew that wasn't so. So I believe he says it in confidence here, God will provide himself a lamb. But they continue up the mountain, they build the altar for the sacrifice. Isaac is laid there upon the altar and Abraham is ready to take the knife, to take the life of his son, his only son. But God steps in in verse number 12 of chapter 22. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. In other words, the Lord provides. We've already saw the provision of the Lord in the first mention of fear. Into your hands are they delivered. There in the animal world with the food, the tools, the clothing, we see the first mention of fear not where God gives us the reason we're to fear not. He gives us the tools that we need. He gives us the shield of faith and says, hold that shield of faith strong out before you and trust in me. Be obedient to me and I will reward you by taking care of you and providing every step of your need. But here we see Abraham in the first mention of someone that feared God. He was proved, it, it was proved to Abraham that he really feared God. He was willing to sacrifice his only son because God said to sacrifice. And we see Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. We see it right here. And you know, God waits to that last minute it seems so many times. He just wants to make you sweat sometimes, I believe. And, you know, just like our trip to Montana, it was the very last day of the trip. After we were discouraged and wondering, what is he going to do? Does he really want us here in Montana? That last day of the trip. He showed us he wanted us there in Butte. At the last second, God provided the, the ram for the sacrifice. But I want us to look at one more first mention in chapter 20 as the account of Abimelech with Abraham and Sarah as Abraham goes to Abimelech and he has Sarah who's his wife and his sister. Abraham tells Abimelech, this is my sister, so that he won't take 
Sarah for himself and potentially kill Abraham. See, the fear of the Lord was actually on Abimelech, but Abraham didn't realize it. So by night, God had to go to Abimelech in a dream after he did take his wife. And he said, hey, this is another man's wife. Don't touch her. And it's like Abimelech just kind of said, hey, I haven't touched her. I'll return her. We see the fear of the Lord. But in verse number 12 of chapter, or actually verse number 11 of chapter 20, we see, And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. You see, so many times when God commands us to do something, we start thinking about it a little bit too much. We start thinking, man, if I do it this way, something bad's going to happen. Abraham said, if I say this is my wife, he's going to want to take her and he's going to kill me so he can get her. You know, and God says, hey, go give that person a track at the restaurant. And you're thinking, man, they might cause a scene if I go over there. They might start asking me questions I don't know how to answer. And we start letting fear build in our minds. It causes us to miss the opportunity that God has for us. There will never be a moment where God commands us to do something and sin is a requirement to get to the end result. If we feel like we have to sin, we need to think again. If God says it, do it. Fear will damage us. It's a tool of the enemy. It's used to stifle our confidence in God. It just it distracts us from the things of God. It'll paralyze us. But we, we see the origins of fear in the Bible here, but I want us to look at the commands of God towards fear. There's a fear to, a fear to prevent sin in Exodus 20.20. 20, the Bible says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that His fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. The fear of God, the reverence of God, He wants that to be before your faces, that ye sin not. If we keep God in His proper place, we're not going to be committing these acts of sin. We're not going to be perfect, but we'll keep short accounts of sin. We'll live for Him. We'll try our hardest to be obedient towards Him. And that's... That's the fear of God. That's what He wants in our life. But so many times there's something in our life that we just don't want to let go of that hinders us from doing what God has for us. So the question this evening, are you willing to set aside that sin in your life? And I call it a sin because if it's something that's preventing you from doing what God's told you to do, that is a sinful action. The actual thing may not be sinful in and of itself, but the fact that it is keeping you from what God wants makes it an idol. Are you willing to set aside the sin in your life for what God has? I think about the account of um, James and John, the sons of Zebedee and Simon Peter as they're out on the water fishing in Luke chapter number 5, verses 10 and 11, we see this account we see a fear of change in our life 
But I believe this is an account that tells us not to fear change. We see Jesus as He come out to the water side as Peter is cleaning out his nets from a bad day of fishing. You know, Peter's this career fisherman. He's provided for his family his needs. And he's did that by fishing. He knows what there is to know about fishing. But he's cleaning out his nets after a bad day. Jesus comes out and says, hey, why don't we push out a little bit so I can teach the people? And he does that. And when he finishes, he said, let's push on out a little further. I want you to cast your net out for a catch. And Peter says, you know, there's no fish here. This is what I do for a living. I would know there's, there's not going to be fish here. But nonetheless, you've told me to do it. I'll do it. Now, and we see that obedience. Regardless if it's what he thought it should be or not. He went ahead and did it. But we see the catch just overwhelmed the boat. It was all he could pull up and more. He had to call the other boat over and they're pulling this net up and I believe they get it into the boat and Jesus is standing there knee deep in fish because we see that Peter bows down at the knees of Jesus. And we see that verse come up here in chapter 5, verse 10. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. You know, just like that, the occupation of these men changed. They're no longer fishermen providing for their family, meeting all their income needs through fishing. They've just set their nets aside. They've set their boats aside. They forsook all and simply following Christ. Whatever he has in store for them, he's going, they're going to follow him. But you know, that day of our salvation, we had another one of those moments. In that moment, whether we recognized it or not, our purpose changed. We're no longer purposed with trying to provide just simply provide for our family, provide for our needs, for our wants, for our toys, whatever you might want to call it. Now our purpose is to be fishers of men. Now our purpose is to go into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. You know, whether that is to work a secular job and just be a witness to our co-workers, to come home and teach our children, our families, to be a witness to the ones that are lost in our families. Our neighbors, which is those that we come in a, into, um, those that we encounter on our daily walk, whoever it may be, are we willing to tell them the truth of the gospel of Christ? You see, in order to set aside your sin, I believe it's got to be replaced with something. These men, they forsook all. But they followed Christ. We've got to replace it with godliness. We've got to get into the Word of God. We've got to get into prayer time with our Savior, with God. We've got to try to draw close as we can to Him. Ask Him to draw us closer unto Him. And just be willing, whatever it is, to go forth. Because fear is cast out by love. In 1 John 4, 17 through 19, the Bible says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. See, see, changing our life to what God wants for us can be a scary step of faith to take. Fear will often overwhelm us. It'll get us stuck right where we're at, not growing for Christ. And, you know, we must love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. But this world's definition of love is so different from what we find in the Bible. The world's love is an emotional-based love. It's the butterflies-in-your-stomach type love. And that's not love according to the Word of God. In the Word of God, every time we see love, it's accompanied by an action. The greatest love of all, of course, is the love of Jesus Christ who came to earth to seek and to save that which was lost. Willingly dying on the cross at Calvary for mine and your sins. Rising again from the grave the third day and, of course, alive today in heaven. You know, we serve the only living God. And I'm thankful that He's alive today. He's got victory over sin. Victory over death. But we've got to be willing to trust Him. And, you know, if we're willing to love Christ the way He wants us to, He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Because our love will be shown in our actions towards Him. We will be in obedience to Him if we truly love Him. It means that we'll be in His Word. We'll keep short accounts with sin. Our prayer life will be at least much closer to where it should be. But remember, if God has asked you to do something, as He has... Know that He will provide the means to accomplish the task. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is He that calleth. Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. We've got to trust Him. You know, I think about the statement I said, changing, when we change our life to what God wants, it is a scary step. For us on deputation, I remember April of 2018, we were in a missions conference in North Carolina, part-time deputation, and that was the day that we changed over to full-time. The last day of my secular job, we, I worked uh, for a grocery store chain on the East Coast as a software systems analyst. I had a, you know, a good job there, good pay, and we left that completely. I remember by August, God tested our faith and, and more between, but we had $300 of our support come in. We owned a house. We had to make a house payment. We had to pay the utilities. We had to pay for gas to drive 2,500 miles to Montana for our first month-long trip. And... God worked it out throughout the meetings that we had while we were out there. We were in eight different churches. And, you know, the Lord just provided for our needs while we were there and the needs for our payments back home. We never missed a bill. We never missed a meal. We always had, you know, a roof over our heads. And, and God provided in that. And he's provided in just amazing ways um, as we've been through deputation. As I look back over the things that have happened. I, I was actually in um, your dad, Pastor Yoder's church, 
in Missouri, and I had been there a couple times and preached a few different times there, and he asked me on a Wednesday, he said, I want you to share with the church all of the um, things that have happened to you on deputation that you, maybe you would consider um, unexpected. And I was like, okay, th- this can be kind of interesting, you know, <laughs> maybe not in a good way. And I started thinking through these things, and I started writing them down and realized that everything I wrote down, God did something through it. God had a purpose. Some of them I had saw during the account or shortly after, but many, that was the first time I had really looked at it in that way and saw what God had done. I spent about an hour in that service sharing and didn't get through everything. But that was one of the blessings for us is to look back at what God had done. And I would say if you look back through your life at what God has done, maybe those unexpected moments... If you were living for God as you went through these unexpected moments, look for that purpose. Look for what God had for you. And it'll be a blessing to you. The transforming fear, though, is to fear God, to reverence Him. If you do that, we see the commands. There's three commands that I'll hit really quickly and I'll be done. We're commanded to fear God over the fear of death. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7 says, And I say unto you, my friend, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. I think of the Apostle Paul and the well-known verse in 2 Corinthians 5.8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You know, that takes a lot of faith to say a statement like that. But it's a man who was stoned to the point of death, thrown out of a city, left for dead. But when God restores him, He goes right back into that city because he understands the true need of the gospel to those people. The ones that just tried to kill him. But I believe he remembered he was once on that side. We're commanded to fear God, secondly, for a prolonged life. Deuteronomy 6.2 says that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and commandments which I command thee. Thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. The Bible says in John 14, 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. I believe, based on that verse, if you love God, if you're trying to live for him, keeping his commandments, he said, I will love him. And will manifest myself to him. He will make himself known in your life. You'll start seeing these moments of what God intended these events to bring forth. If I was to ask you how God is working in your life right now, could you tell me an instance? Ecclesiastes 12 verses 13 and 14 tells us that It says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. 
For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. As a Christian, every work will be judged. Whether they're seen by those around us or not, whether they're good or bad, all are before God, all are before His judgment. We must fear God and walk according to His commandments. As a Christian, fear will destroy us. Fear will make us useless for the cause of Christ. When those doors are opened, fear stops us from walking through. How many of you have someone in your life that doesn't know Christ as Savior? Anyone? Have you told them about Christ? Have you told them the need? I'm sure many of you have, but maybe just one more time. They need to hear it. Maybe a phone call. Or maybe Monday when you go to work. You can just tell them one more time. Who is it in your life that doesn't know Christ as Savior? You know, we read through the Scriptures time after time, God tells us to fear not. And think about Isaiah 41.10. The Bible says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And one more verse I'll leave you with. In Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, we see, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. But that statement, lean not unto thine own understanding. As we saw with Abraham, he said, I thought the fear of the Lord was not in this place. And it changed his action. The fear that that caused changed his actions. Let's not let fear move us away from the things of Christ. Pastor, you come. I'll close in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I just thank you.